Let's pray again together. Triune God, as we sing together these words, as we pray together these prayers, we do not desire that they be just a a formula or an activity, but that our hearts are genuinely adoring you, admiring you, submitting to you, depending on you. And Lord, may the same be true as we study your word together. Help us to confess our sin, to be challenged, to take courage from who you are at work in us and on our behalf and through us. We pray these things with the confidence of people who who can draw near to you through our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. When you reflect on your life, can you think of pivotal moments or perhaps pivotal seasons in life? Today's the day that our culture celebrates Father's Day, and maybe some of you who are dads think of becoming a father for the first time as as such a pivotal moment. Uh, My oldest sister is here, and I'm pretty sure that my parents' lives were never the same after she was born. (laughs) I can say that because she's the female version of me. You can think of things like what what recently took place in in our drummer up here, Mike Bliss, and in his family's life, Mitchell and Hallie, Hallie's their daughter, Mitchell, who usually plays the guitar up here with us, uh, one of our interns, they were married on Friday, huge moment in their lives, or as we talked about this morning, even though they're not here, Will and Ashley getting engaged, you think of times in your life, the time in your life when, when the, possibly the most pivotal moment in your entire life is when you confessed your sin and trusted in Jesus alone as your Savior You think of pivotal seasons in your life, some of them like good, like the ones we're talking about, others of them extremely difficult. Seasons of suffering, moments of suffering, where we're depending on God to help us and to change us, to see us through and to make us the person that he desires for us to be. And we all look forward to that pivotal moment when we either pass through death and enter into the presence of our Lord, or Jesus comes back with the loud trumpet call of God to come claim his church. When we're studying the book of Acts together, Luke, the author, pieces together so many pivotal moments and and pivotal people. And we've reached a place in Acts chapter 13, this is a critical turning point in the narrative that Luke is giving to us. The lead figure shifts from being the apostle Peter to the Apostle Paul. The progress of the gospel shifts from being, uh, fr- from being spread primarily because of persecution against the church to now having the church intentionally plan to reach both Jews and Gentiles in places where the gospel has not yet gone. The fulcrum of this, this pivotal moment in the Antioch, is the Antioch church. The Antioch church functions, functions in the narrative as a, as a hinge moment here. 
We first started talking more about the Antioch church at Acts chapter 11, verses 19 to 26, when we looked at the birth of that church, which was itself unplanned. And and we discussed that God is in the business of planting and growing faithful churches in order to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ, thereby advancing his kingdom. But up to this point, the spread of the gospel to new areas and new people in order to fulfill Christ's commission wasn't deliberate. Now all of that is about to change. It's here that the author, Luke, is eager to show the pivotal impact of the Antioch Church's intentional initiative to obey Christ's global commission to the end of the earth, Acts 1.8. In doing so, this commissioning of of missionaries from, from Antioch becomes for us a model, an important primary thing for the local church to focus on. One primary thing for the church to focus on is being ascending church. This text also provides us with principles that are, that are purposeful and practical that should inform how we think about the church that is ascending church and how we think about the missionaries themselves that we aim to send. So read with me in Acts chapter 12, beginning in verse 25. We're at a sort of a transitional verse there, and I'm only going to read through Acts 13.3, and then later we'll get into this first missionary journey of Paul and Barnabas, as we, we so often call it. Beginning at Acts 12.25. And Barnabas and Saul returned from Jerusalem when they had completed their service, bringing with them John, whose other name was Mark. Pause there just for one second so I can let you know that due to a textual difficulty in verse 25, where the best manuscripts that we have likely have to Jerusalem instead of from Jerusalem, the better translation is probably in changing the word order in English to say something like this, and Barnabas and Saul returned, having completed their service to Jerusalem, bringing with them John, whose other name was Mark. Now continue with me at chapter 13, verse 1. Now there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manaen, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, They laid their hands on them and sent them off or released them. Now, the way I want to look at the text with you today is to draw out principles for you about this first missionary team. So we'll kind of look at verse 25 first, and then I want to talk to you about the the sending church. And you'll see then, as we come to the end, uh, several ways in which we ought to be applying this to ourselves. The first missionary team was led by mature believers who were actively participating in spreading the gospel and building up the church. And then we'll also talk about the fact that they were people who who had already proven that they work well with others, even together, who are willing and able to travel for ministry, and who were eager eager to disciple and train young believers, in this case, John Mark, Barnabas's younger relative. So again, the first missionary team was led by mature believers who were already demonstrating faithfulness and consistency in ministry. 
Barnabas and Saul were actively participating in spreading the gospel and building up the church. Barnabas is listed first, so we'll talk about him first. Barnabas had proven himself not only generous, we heard in the early part of Acts. Remember that he sold property to give it to the apostles for the use of the church in Jerusalem. He was not only generous, but he was a capable leader whom the the leadership in Jerusalem trusted to be sent from them to confirm and consolidate this growing ministry that had sprung up in Antioch. Barnabas was a selfless servant who brought in Saul to help at the Antioch church, not concerned that this gifted teacher might outshine him. Saul, too, had proven his courage to preach the gospel and to teach. In fact, we often start talking about the first, second, third, maybe fourth missionary journeys of of the apostle Paul, and we forget that Paul was faithful from the moment he trusted Christ. He had proven that he had courage to preach the gospel and to teach, first at Damascus, right after his conversion, then in the region of Arabia, or Nabatea, after he had to escape from Damascus, then then Saul preached in Jerusalem. In fact, he was preaching so boldly that he had to escape there too, and the believers sent him to Tarsus. While he was in Tarsus for quite a number of years, he was preaching in the whole region of Syria and Cilicia. He says himself in Galatians chapter 1, verse 21. So if you're counting, there are at least four or five phases of, Paul, of Saul's ministry up to this point. Then back in Antioch, this would be the fifth, I believe, in, in particular when Barnabas brought him there. The point is, These were faithful and mature men who had been demonstrating spirit-filled boldness and faithfulness and consistency in ministry wherever the Lord had them. One of the most dangerous things for young missionaries is to basically just try to do their own thing without help and oversight. Yes, Barnabas and Saul took along the younger John Mark with them, but clearly this team has a pair of mature leaders. I was so encouraged by hearing a young man uh, who's participating in our church family, goes to College of the Ozarks, and he was telling me that he's interested in missions, but in the next breath he said, but I don't intend to try to just make the decisions on my own or confirm that on my own. I want to be involved in the local church and, and have the elders confirm that that is God's leading in my life. Perfectly fits with this text today. Oftentimes, we joke about this because I, too, have been involved in in missions my entire life. My parents were missionaries. I grew up on the mission field, and uh, having always been a a part of the local church, been a part of the lives of missionaries, I'll tell you, sometimes we, when we want to go be missionaries, we just tell the local church afterwards, you know, like, hey, we're planning to go with such and such an agency to do such and such a thing. Do you want to support us? (laughs) Well, especially your sending church, you don't want to have that approach to them. You want to do what's done here, which is for them to confirm that this is God's leading in your life. It becomes evident. We'll talk about that more as we continue. Now, this team has also already proven that they can work well with other people in ministry, even even with one another, because they've been participating in ministry together in Antioch. One of the things that uh, one of the primary reasons that, that 
even our overseas missionaries, so many of which have been sent from North America to go across the globe, one of the primary reasons that missionaries return home is because they're having interpersonal conflict with the other people on their team. It's like when you get married and we tell you to be, uh, read a book like called When Sinners Say I Do. You're getting married to other sinners or you enter into ministry with other sinners. That's why I tell you here at Branson Bible Church, like, don't, don't be trying to put your elders on a pedestal because if you do that, we're soon to disappoint you. We should be people whom you can follow and are modeling faithfulness to Jesus Christ, but we need you to encourage us toward faithfulness. We need to be people who are, who are mature enough and humble enough to be growing alongside one another, to always be teachable people. For a whole year, Barnabas and Saul labored side by side in Antioch, chapter 11, verses 25 and 26. And then they went together to Jerusalem on behalf of the Antioch church. And now they were back serving with the other leaders in the Antioch church. And a number of years have passed that they've been doing this together. And then it also might be easy to overlook because we're so used to this concept in the book of Acts and with our own missionaries. These are people who, would be, who, who were gonna be sent out. They were willing and able to travel for ministry. It may just be the case in your scenario of life or your situation in life that you may not be able to do the kinds of things that a missionary might need to do in a given setting. There are many different circumstances and situations in which missionary team members function together. You might think that the only missionaries can go do what Paul Griffiths did, which is work in the interior in a place where there are no roads and the only access is by river, and then you build a grass airstrip so that a Cessna aircraft can land there. That is one way to be a missionary, but it's not the only way to be involved in missions. There are missionaries to cities, right? There are missionaries who are supporting the other missionaries to be able to be there. It takes a lot of people to create the tip of a spear. But you might be in a situation of life where now is not the time or the situation isn't right. Barnabas and, and Saul were either willing or able to make the necessary sacrifices to travel in ministry. Although we may be willing, it may be best for someone else to take up a certain ministry at a given time. And these, this first missionary team, these two men were eager to disciple and train young believers. This, in this case, it was John Mark first. They take, they take him along to Antioch, and then they take him with them when they begin their first trip in Acts 13, verse 5. This was the pattern of Jesus with his disciples, the pattern of Barnabas with Saul, and the pattern of Saul, who soon is always being called Paul by his Gentile name with Timothy and Titus and others. When you become an adult, or maybe even as you're nearing adulthood, you certainly begin to realize that the leaders ahead of you are not perfect. Your parents are not perfect. We joke with you teenagers that you seem to know better than us all of a sudden. But you're, it's because you're starting to realize we're not perfect, and you're starting to, to try to think for yourself and learn from their leadership, but you also start to notice weaknesses. So even as you begin to get a little older into adulthood, you should be wise enough and mature enough and humble enough to see that there are almost certainly men and women in your midst in the local church whom you should look up to and learn from. 
often when we think about this topic, we put the shoe on the foot of the mentor. You need to be discipling someone, and that's good. But in my own life, I have found this most effective to be a younger person who is teachable and seeking guidance. I pray that God continues to help me, even as I'm growing into middle age, that, I'm, that I remain teachable and looking for help and guidance and growth. It's also true that we need to have our eyes open, looking for those younger than us in the faith who are, are needing guidance and input. Consider, in this context, the importance of Barnabas's ministry in the life of the Apostle Paul. So all of this that we're talking about is reinforced even further when we begin to discuss the church that sent this team out. But again, just to review, this team consisted of mature, trustworthy believers who were already active in ministry, who had proven themselves capable and willing to uh, work together, willing to travel for ministry, and who had a heart to train other believers to do what they are doing, which is discipleship. So too, there are principles and practices for us to follow in the model of the first sending church, the Antioch church in chapter 13, verses one through three. The Antioch church had a plurality of capable, diverse servant leaders. Five are listed. In our passage, the elders in the Antioch church are described as, as both prophets and teachers. It's impossible to tell textually if there's any intended distinct, distinction between which ones are prophets, which ones are teachers, leading most Bible students to conclude that a, a hard and fast distinction isn't intended here. Or perhaps that they all are in some ways considered both. Certainly when we talk about Peter, Barnabas, Paul, we know that they're spoken of as, as apostles, as prophets, as teachers, as evangelists even. Although the role of New Testament prophet would have been to proclaim and reinforce the truths being established by God in the new covenant in, in Christ, it appears that this gift of, of prophecy was more spontaneous in nature sometimes including a specific warning or encouragement for the edification of the church. And then as teachers, they would have served in more systematic instruction, such as the way Barnabas and Saul are described as doing in this church at Acts chapter 11 and verse 26, where for a whole year, they continued and taught a great many people and where the believers were first called Christians. Of these five elders in the church at Antioch, Barnabas heads the list and Saul brings up the caboose, probably either because Barnabas had come with the uh, authority of the commissioning from the Jerusalem church or because he's, he's the oldest and most respected member of the group. I think it's probably both. Saul is likely the youngest, or at least that's a possible explanation. I would argue that a list like this shows, in fact, that Barnabas was initially the older and more mature believer who had taken Saul under his wing to disciple him, which fits with the earlier context as well. Barnabas brought Saul to the apostles, to Peter, and it was Barnabas who brought Saul to Antioch. He saw his potential and he poured into his life. The three other men are given a brief additional context since they haven't been previously brought up in our narrative. They haven't been introduced to, a, to us yet. So Simeon in the Antioch church, his nickname was Niger, which is the, a Latin form of a Roman name suggesting that 
He may have been dark-complected or black. So Simeon, who is called Niger. And since we know that the next man in the list, Lucius, was from Cyrene, which was in North Africa, it's likely that Niger was also from North Africa. It's also possible that both of these men had been a part of the synagogue of the Cyrenaeans in Jerusalem that we heard about earlier who had to, to flee the persecution in Jerusalem. It's very intriguing to me to consider this possibility that it, I even think it's likely that they were among those men that we heard about in chapter 11, verse 20, the men from Cyprus and Cyrene who first preached the Lord Jesus to Greeks in Antioch. They were probably among those, probably leaders of that group and became trusted leaders of the church in Antioch. The fourth man in the list is Manian who is described as one who was raised in the same household as Herod Antipas. Herod Antipas became tetrarch over Galilee upon the death of Herod the Great. You, you may recall that Herod Antipas would be the one who reigned under Rome in the region during the ministry of Jesus, during the ministry of John the Baptist, who put John the Baptist to death. And then his nephew, the grandson of Herod the Great, Agrippa I, is the, is the king we just talked about in Acts, who died for glorifying himself. Remember the previous passage we just looked at three weeks ago? Acts chapter 12, verses 20 to 23, he accepted worship and he was put to death. So this Manian is described as being brought up with Herod Antipas, who would then have almost certainly held a highly influential position in status in society for much of his life. Even if he were a servant to Herod, remember that Servants could have held any place in society. So even if he grew up in the household of Herod in the sense of like being a servant who was, they often they would grow up in the same household and then would later be freed by them. If he grew up in that household, he would have been extremely influential in society. So we have this, such a diversity in this group, but this man, Manian, would now not be respected because of who he knows, but because as a believer, he was an elder statesman in the faith. What this list shows, again, is, is both a remaining connection to Jewish scriptures. These men were likely raised in synagogues and trained in the scriptures, while also predominantly being Hellenistic Jews or even Greeks, and a diverse group in background and gifting and experience, diverse even in ages, I think. The plurality and diversity in, of this group would have been a strength as we see in this passage. And the fact that there are a number of them so that they can release some of them to other ministry. These men led their church in verse two in right worship. That's the Greek word for, for priestly service. And they led their people in intentionally and fervently seeking God's leading, in this case through, through fasting. Fasting is, you know this, but I'll just remind you, sort of give you an overall scriptural context briefly of fasting. It involves abstaining from food and sometimes water for a time. It was often associated, first of all in scripture, with mourning for the dead as a sign of grief, then also associated with penitence for sins as an expression of repentance, then too associated with prayer as a form of appeal for God's intervention. That's probably usually what most of us think of in a New Testament context, and with preparations for encountering God as a means for becoming more alert 
for the reception of revelations from God would have also been the case in this context here. Also to remind you, according to Luke chapter 18, verse 12, pious Pharisees fasted twice a week, even though in the Old Testament there was only one feast where they were commanded to fast, but the Pharisees had really upped that number. They were fasting a lot. Jesus condemned them, though, for doing it for show. They made sure that everybody could tell they were fasting, you know, lots of ashes and messing up, messing up their hair and wearing the appropriate clothing. John the Baptist fasted regularly. Of course, most of you wouldn't follow John's diet anyways. Jesus fasted for 40 days in the desert, but Jesus also didn't fast during the years of his ministry. Remember him saying that my disciples don't fast while the bridegroom is with them? But he did say that his people would fast after he's gone. So there is a principle for for us to practice fasting in order to focus our attention on prayer, to focus our attention on hearing from God, to remind ourselves, even as Jesus did when, when he fasted, to remind ourselves, man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. We want to hear from you, God. Some of you were fasting and praying when you began praying fervently for the adoption of the Fars kids. So we have this practice to do at times and not simply because before a surgery they tell us we're not allowed to eat. So because this team was submissive to the Spirit's leading during a time of worship and fasting, probably specifically seeking God's will and, and involving the community, they were able to confirm the Spirit's leading in the lives of Barnabas and Saul. The reason I say confirm the Spirit's leading in, in the lives of Barnabas and Saul, and, and they participate in commissioning them, but this isn't new news, right? We, we talked about all that Saul has been doing and all that Barnabas has been doing. We learned in Acts chapter 9 that at Saul's conversion, he was told specifically to go while he was blind, go to Damascus, you're going to find out what it is that I have for you. Then through Ananias, he is told specifically in Acts chapter 9, verse 15, that he was going to carry the name of Jesus Christ before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. He knew what he was supposed to be about. Barnabas also has proven his willingness to leave home and go, even as he has come to Antioch and spent a number of years there. But rather than simply telling the church what God wanted them to do, they were cooperating with them and submitting to the local church to confirm God, the Holy Spirit's leading. If you're thinking that you would like to be a missionary or a pastor, as I said earlier, don't simply inform your, your church or churches of your plans. Become an adult in a local church and share what God is placing on your heart and let them see you in ministry. Let them train you to grow in leadership so that they can help you confirm the Holy Spirit's leading. After all, as you're serving in the body of Christ, are you the only person in the group with the indwelling Holy Spirit? No, you're not. So you grow in so much confidence and courage and understanding the will of God for your life as the people around you confirm gifting and leadership. I can tell you for a fact that a pivotal season in the life of my wife and me was when the Lord brought us back to Branson Bible Church to serve here alongside Rich and Patty and to become, to be mentored by them and to become a part of this church family. And we grew monumentally as adults. 
So I tell people when they ask me, I'm like, well, I grew up, where'd you grow up? I grew up in South America as a missionary kid. I became a believer there, developed a heart for ministry there, but I grew up as an adult in the faith here at Branson Bible Church. And it was this church body that confirmed the, the work of the Holy Spirit through me to teach. It was this church body that essentially asked my wife and I to pray. We were planning to go. And when we started talking again about going again to be missionaries again, they asked us to pray, what about staying? So staying with you is our mission field. This is what God called us to do through the confirmation of the leaders at Branson Bible Church at that time. I just want you to know there is so much confidence and courage to know the leading of the Spirit of God, or we enter into a difficult season in my own life this past year, and I just keep saying, Father, we want to know your will. Help the leaders around me to tell me what I should be doing. And I just trust them. When I'm going through depression, and I don't really, I can't really trust my emotions, right? So I'm, I know I can't trust my emotions. I'm reading God's word, seeking the guidance of the Holy Spirit. And more than anything, I promise you, I was simply trusting the men that God has placed around me and the woman that God placed to be my better half. Because they too have the indwelling spirit to help you confirm God's leading in your life. And somehow in this process, in this church, as they're already, I'm sure, this is how I picture it happening. They're having conversations. Saul and Barnabas are talking about visions and ideas and going out, but they, they want to participate with this local church. And so they, they tell them about it and they talk about it. And so I think they're fasting and praying for this purpose. God, give us clarity. And in that context, the Holy Spirit says, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Confirmation of the Spirit's leading. And it may have been a prophet in the group who received this specific wording, but I think kind of the lack of specificity about who and how leads me to believe that this was more general confirmation of the Holy Spirit's calling and guidance. What's really neat here is that this is deliberate and cooperative confirmation then, which launched the first intentional commissioning of missionaries in verse 3. Barnabas and Saul were sent, or more literally, they were released, set free, let go from their leadership in Antioch to pursue outreach ministry to new regions, a ministry that would become characterized by geographical movement and the spread of the gospel, the word of God continuing. The Antioch church released some of their best to go out from them in missionary service. I'll I'll be so excited every time somebody leaves from our church family to go do something else. But it kind of hurts, and that's exactly how it should be. You know, like, parents, if, if your kids go to be missionaries, you're going to feel the pain of, of them leaving home and going to live somewhere else. The local church body, we're going to feel the pain of missing you. Travis and Anna moved to St. Louis, and we're like, ugh, right? It should be like that. Those guys literally rescued me. Speaking of pivotal moments, they rescued me when COVID happened and we happened to have these two young people show up to help us like get services online for you to participate in. I could have never figured it out on my own. People going out from us, just like you've probably heard people give you advice about how much should we give generously to the ministry that 
that God is doing in other people and in our local church? How much should we give? Well, we sh- I've heard advice said you should give so that it, you feel the impact in your budget. Just so when we send people out from us, we should feel it. We don't want to lose them, but we know that God has prepared them to use them, and so we confirm God's calling in their lives. What's very interesting now is that there are a great there there are numerous situations for missions in which my brother Mike and I will say it's a young man's game. <laughs> there are difficult places to reach, and it's going to be hard. The stress is going to be wearing on you. You almost have to have a little bit of youthful, blissful ignorance about how hard this is. But what, what, the church, what the local church does, or maybe even a seminary and a, and, a, and a mission organization in cooperation, is they prepare you as best as they possibly can to be as mature as you possibly can be, even though you're going as a fairly young person. But they're saying, I would trust you to be an elder in our church. I would trust you to lead ministries out from our church family. That's exactly what we're doing. The Antioch Church released some of their best. So what are we seeing take place here? In one sense, this is a continuation of the kinds of ministry Barnabas and Saul have already been undertaking. But in another sense, it's a new phase, as Luke indicates in, in, in this book, indicated by a shift in Acts to focus on, on this missionary ministry, this pivotal moment in the life and history of the church. Can you imagine if this moment had not happened in the Antioch church, you do realize that as you think about being an established church of 70 plus years in Branson, Missouri, you're a church plant of missionaries. Every church after the Jerusalem church was a church plant. And they're supposed to be maturing and replicating that process. So you'll even hear some of us around here talk about certain types of missions movements that we don't agree with in terms of methodology because they don't want to plant their roots deep enough. But we have to plant local churches in the places where we go so that they can keep replicating. The church shouldn't wither up and be gone once you leave. The church should continue to flourish and plant new churches. This is the process that Jesus put in place to reach the ends of the earth. Go here, plant a church. This church goes here, plants a church. This church goes here. You see what I'm saying? We continue the process of releasing missionaries to plant churches. If we don't do that, if we don't plant, establish strong churches who understand God's word and preach God's word and replicate this process in the lives of others, I always ask these same three questions. If you're deliberately doing something shallow, And I say that about like the cultural moment in the evangelical church too. If you're deliberately doing something shallow, do they really know the gospel and are they saved is question number one. Question number two is, can they withstand persecution? And question number three is, can they replicate this? If they cannot do those things, we have not done our job. And so this is the kind of process that these people can faithfully trust Paul and Barnabas are going to go out from them and do. But with a little more intentionality now than was done in in Antioch. Now, to to wrap all of this up this morning, I just want to conclude with some application asking you how you're participating in the mission. 
This is Christ's mission, Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Now, you're kind of the ends of the earth. Brady told us that when he spoke. Brady's a missionary, so he reminded us that, you know, Jerusalem's over there. (laughs) We're over here. But there are still yet unreached places, unreached people, unreached groups. How are you participating in and cooperating with Christ's mission to reach the nations with the gospel of Jesus Christ, that he is Lord and Savior of all? The application we make all the way through the book of Acts, I'll just make again. Surely we must realize first that our faithful witness begins where we are presently. The privilege and responsibility of every believer is to tell others about the Lord who has rescued us and restored us to God. It is who we are. Secondly, surely the local church must be intentional about training up and releasing missionaries to go out from us to assist in the mission of planting churches. One of my mentors here says the church has to make sure that we keep the main things the main things, being intentional about the main things. If we do not preach God's word, for example, like Paul and Barnabas were doing, we will not worship rightly like they were doing. If we do not preach God's word, we will not have God's heart for reaching new people, and we will not follow God's will and God's way of accomplishing that purpose, which the Acts shows us again and again is planting local churches. Right worship should lead to God's heart and the heart of God for making a people for himself from every corner of the planet. And we should be about training leaders and sending them out. God's work doesn't end with us. Having a church called Branson Bible Church where we fellowship and worship is not an end. It is a means to produce the further end, which is seeing the Lord Jesus Christ reach every ethnic group on the planet. Every church plant aims to raise up and send out leaders to plant other churches where there is need. The goal of every local church should be to become a sending church. One way to be involved in this mission is to to prayerfully support as many missionaries whom you trust as your wallet and your church can afford. Another perhaps even more substantive, I would argue, way to be intentional is to train up leaders with a heart for shepherding and planting healthy churches in locations where, uh, wherever God might call them, under the supervision and commissioning of the local church. We have young people among us who are already excited about missions. You guys know I always joke about the fact that we're about, you know, 30% children here. We could uh, possibly reach the rest of the world with just our kids. And we're not done multiplying. So here we have, here at Branson Bible, we, we have already been aiming and we aim to become better at this, to put our effort and our money where our mouth is. To, do, to keep doing this and make greater effort and, and become even more intentional. So if you think that you can help the leadership of Branson Bible Church become even more intentional about how we are doing this, if you simply come to us and say, I would love to be trained further in leadership to see what God has for me, nothing would make us more excited. You know, the task of of reaching the lost for Christ seems in some ways to be much easier than it would have been in the days of the Apostle Paul. Information, 
travel. And yet in other ways, it's severely complicated by information overload, information manipulation, by modern forms of monitoring people in and out of countries, even, even monitoring their online traffic. So we must pray for wisdom and plan intentionally to deal with these kinds of barriers. We have to train people. We have to see people trained toward that end. We are, our, we, we are um, in many cases with global missions, we're trying to reach people who are more linguistically and culturally distant from ourselves than in the ministries that Paul established. So we have to train people for that. Or we have to go into other places and train them so they can reach people that they are closer to linguistically and culturally. Missions is a monumental task, but it is a task that God can and will accomplish. The question is, will we be faithfully a part of his work? Finally, number three in closing, surely we must be sensitive to the Spirit's leading, willing to go, and submissive to leadership in a local church to help us confirm the Spirit's work and leading. I'm going to tell you this morning that you should be seeking to become a man or woman qualified to be a servant leader in whatever capacity God calls you to in the local church on his mission. You know how we talk about the qualifications for an elder in Titus and in, in 1 Timothy? Those are character qualities, qualities that every growing believer should pursue. You should be praying for and, and speaking to people around you about the gospel of Jesus Christ, demonstrating faithfulness where you are. Secondly, you should have a heart submissive to God's leading, wherever, whenever, however, and with whomever he chooses. Are you willing to pray that with me? I've always been a person who's willing to pray that. John Piper was saying, as he, as he was pastor of Bethlehem Baptist Church, he was saying, my wife and I, Noel, are willing to pray every year, is this still where you want us to be, God? Or do you want us to, send, to, to go somewhere else? Are you willing to pray to the Lord and with the others around you, Lord, would you lead me wherever, whenever, however, and with whomever you choose? I believe that you should pray that. And finally, you should patiently seek confirmation of God's leading by the Spirit through trusted leadership in the local church, asking questions like, with them, how am I gifted? Do I work well with others? Am I preparing to be sent out? Should I go to blank with blank sending agency? Let them help you. The bottom line is that Missions to the end of the earth is indeed a monumental task, but it is a task that God can and will accomplish. And the question is, will we be submissively and obediently a part of that work? Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you are always faithful and you always do what you promise. And so when you promise through our Lord Jesus Christ that you will give your people your Holy Spirit, and through your Holy Spirit, we will be your witnesses, and that you will reach the ends of the earth. That is something we know that you will accomplish. And so in all, as in all things, God, we know that, and we're struggling against the flesh, and, and we don't desire to walk in the flesh. We want to walk in the Spirit. So help us together as your body to do that, to be faithful to you. We know that you can do this without us, but we don't want you to. We want to be faithful children. We want you to be manifest through us. So help us as a church to be focused on knowing you 
and making you known. Glorify yourself in the church and in Christ Jesus, now and forever. Amen.